Hi there, this is Rhonda at the Becoming One Churchcast, and this is episode 5, God's Name. In Jeremiah 44, 26, God prophesied that his name would be forgotten. God said, Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says Jehovah, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt. Unquote. Now, Egypt in the Bible, if you recognize the duality of the Bible and its symbolism, which is really an important key to understanding a lot of what's going on in the Bible and sorting it out to be more rational than a lot of the contemporary understandings of what's going on in the Bible. So if you, if you understand the duality, Egypt is also symbolic of the whole world. So God's name was prophesied to be forgotten, to be forgotten. The typical translation of God's name most of you are probably familiar with is I am. But actually, there are many scholars who translate God's name as I will be. And God told Moses to say he who will be sent him uh, to be more grammatically correct. And this can also be translated as the becoming one. And there's a lot of, of scholarship on God's name. And the becoming one church goes with the translation of God's name as I will be. And if you look into it, it's, it's the literal correct translation. There's not a whole lot of room in translating his name to say that his name is, to say that God's name is I am. This is a, a corruption that came out of the translation of the Septuagint, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that somewhat wrong. <laughs> the the version of the Bible that was translated by 70 translators, and this was done around the 3rd century BC for Ptolemy II, a king of Egypt, and in that translation, the Hebrew, I will be, um, name for God, was translated as the being, or I am the being, and at that time, the being was Egypt's god. Um, Osiris was addressed in their prayers as the being. So in this context, the name of God was changed in this translation to to I am or the being from the proper Hebrew translation of I will be. This translation fit in with the Greek mindset at the time that God had to be changeless. And this translation was enforced when the Catholic Church held it above all the other translations, holding that something that had so many translators involved, like 70 translators, would have to be more accurate than a version that perhaps one person translated. And because the Catholic Church was so dominant for so long, this became the accepted name of God. So God's name was corrupted via translation and, and mindsets at the time that were Greek, and they were adopted by the Catholic Church, and now we have forgotten 
the proper Hebrew translation of God's name. Although it is out there, and you can find it in many places. And if you're interested in delving into the translation arguments on the, the Coming One Church website, which is www.becomingone.org, uh, there is, as of summer 2019, um, I'm not sure it will always be up, but as of summer 2019, you can access the paper on God's name for free in the books and paper section at a link. And there it goes very deep into the reason that this is the only logical translation of God's name and others who have also recognized this. And the problem, one of the biggest problems with the I am translation for God's name is that it masks the nature of who God is and what God is doing here and it compounds the problem of evil where we ask how can an all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing God possibly, possibly be in charge of this corrupted, horrible, in so many ways, world? And in this idea of the scriptures that rests on the translation of God's name being I am, we find a God that doesn't change, that is love, yet is also a condemner and even a killer. I mean, God is described as doing all kinds of things that are contrary to the law of love, contrary to what God asks humans to do and how God asks humans to treat each other. So how is God all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-good if God does things like that? Well, the secret to understanding that in a rational, fair, and illuminating way is to use the translation of God's name as I will be. God changes and changes quite a lot. Now we're monotheistic here. There is one God, but I'm going to take you through a series of scriptures where God refers to God's self as plural. And this doesn't negate the one God when we translate God's name as I will be. So ready? Here we go. Let us create man in our image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Yehoah, God's, with an S, look, the man has become like one of us. Genesis chapter 3 verse 22. Come, let us go and mix up their language. Genesis chapter 11 verse 7. The voice of the Lord's, that's plural, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Yehoah, our gods, that's plural, one Yehoah. Deuteronomy 
chapter 6, verse 4. Yehoah, he, the gods, that's plural, Deuteronomy 4, 35. Yehoah, you, the gods, that's plural, 2 Samuel 7, 28. Yehoah, he is gods in heaven above and earth below, there is none else, Deuteronomy 4, 39. That great is Yehoah and our lords, that's plural, above all gods. Psalms 135.5 Your creators, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Let Israel rejoice in his makers, Psalm 149.2. For your husband, your makers, Yehoah of hosts, Isaiah 54.5. Knowledge of the holies, well, that's plural, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Yehoah, God's, that's plural, holies, that's plural, is he. Joshua 24, 19. Almighty's, that's plural, or powers, in Genesis 17, 1. Most highs, that's plural, Daniel 7, 18. My Lord's Yehoah, Isaiah 10.23, and many more verses that say just this type of thing. This many-in-oneness nature of God, eventually we all go back into God. Note Psalm 82.6. I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High. And then Jesus himself, in John 10.34, we hear in the verse Jesus say, Jesus quote that same psalm. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? As I talked about in prior podcasts, the Becoming One Church uh, maintains that the reason for life is that this is a spiritual creation, that God could not create us right out in paradise, perfect, sinless creatures, because we would never be happy, because opposite qualities require each other to exist. There could be no good if there had never been evil. There could be no happiness if there had never been sadness. So rather than a creation that went off the rails, um, we have a creation that is learning, and this is a spiritual creation. As the Bible talks about, there's a potter's wheel, and God is a potter. God is molding us and shaping us to be finally born again. And Christians in, in this life are begotten of God, but they're not born again yet. There's a translation thing going on where um, begotten, uh, should often be translated and then it has born again and everybody's born again at one point into God as everyone goes out of God through Adam everyone goes back into God through Christ Christ is the first fruit and then there's Christians and then there's everybody else and the Bible talks about heaven being like a loaf of bread with three measures of meal about being something that everyone presses into. This is talking about a universal salvation and uh, people can't see how that could possibly happen unless we we properly understand the nature of God and God's name is I will be. One day we all go back into God. God is one, God is many in one. 
um, as Jesus said, you are gods. He's creating a nation of priests and gods. And the first person, there has to be somebody, like, he doesn't do it all at once, it's in stages. There's three stages to salvation. There's Jesus, there's Christians, and then there's everybody else. In short, we are the children of God. We are being created perfect. We're still in the potter's wheel. There's no favoritism now because we're still all just being created. The name I am masks this this great process and this great integration, how we're all the children of God, and it makes a, a God who doesn't change. Well, the reason God needs to change is because in, in this age, <laughs> well, God is love, God is Jesus now, but um, God has done things that are contrary to, to the law of love, like send plagues and have people killed, and there's descriptions of a, a vengeful, jealous God in the Bible. So how can God be all-powerful, all-good, and all-knowing? Well, we solve this with time and with change. God's name is I Will Be. There's a left and a right hand of God. Um, God separated himself out into a left hand and a right hand. The true God is the God who is love, the side of God that is love, but God needs a time of sacrifice for us to learn. So while we're all on the potter's wheel, before law was set up, God predestinated all of the spiritual creation to happen. So before there was sin, God before law, before before evil existed, God predestinated all of this. We're still on the potter's wheel. We're not really born yet. We'll all be born in a resurrection to all become part of God. Like everyone goes out of God in Adam, everyone comes back to God through Jesus, then first the Christians, then everyone else. So there's a left side of God and a right side of God. This is very obvious on the throne of God. The Ark of the Covenant symbolism expresses this. The Bible talks about God creating the angels and the angels witnessing the creation of the world. The Bible talks about, um, the Bible is a highly symbolic document and stars are symbolic of angels as we've touched on in a prior podcast and in Revelation it talks about a third of the stars being knocked out of the sky by the dragon's tail. The dragon is symbolic of Satan. Well, um, Revelation also is not a sequential document. Uh, the Greek verb that is used a lot in there is not something that takes into account time. Um, this A third of the stars coming out of the sky was likely um, the beginning of the creation. Uh, there are fallen angels. Um, Jesus has conversations with people who are possessed. Who are they possessed with? Well, like, especially bad fallen angels. <laughs> um, the Becoming One Church goes into scripture and uses that to kind of um, make a case for this is something that's going on, that everybody is influenced by um, the angels of, of this time, this age, this time of sacrifice, where we learn about evil, but ultimately those angels repent. Um, the angels are referred to as sons of God, too, in the Bible. Um, Job 1, um, 1, 6 can be translated to say, 
One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Um, from this and other verses, we can tell that the angels are also sons of God, and Satan is amongst them. And since the whole creation goes out of God, and the whole creation goes back into God, one day um, God's love is powerful enough to get even Satan to repent. Um, the, the fire spoken about um, in Revelation has been mentioned in the Bible as being prepared for the devil and his angels. Evil is cast out of the world in this a thousand year period that's a reward for Christians and it's mentioned in the Bible. And during this time there's, there's no sin on earth and people get to see what people born in this time are like, that they're not truly happy as people who like resurrected Christians um, and yes there's there's people having children this time and um, the children they have they don't they don't know evil but they also don't have a, a, a really good understanding of what exactly the, the gift that they have the paradise the, the land without evil how how happy and glorious it is they're not able to enjoy it as much as resurrected Christians because they have no experience with, with evil whatsoever, they cannot comprehend. So this uh, reinforces the reason for this time of sacrifice. Just like um, there is a, a ritual in the Bible where sin is sent away um, with, the, with the goat sent out into the wilderness in the desert. Um, Satan is sent away for a thousand years, and when he's let loose, well, he repents. He sees how truly wrong he was because of how amazing the world is, um, and he has turned to the ways of God. For those outraged by the idea of Satan and his angels repenting, well, um, wouldn't you want God to be strong enough to win the battle against Satan and his minions? I mean, <laughs> God is all-powerful, right? So what are you saying? Are you saying that God cannot convert Satan? Um, and this would be very, very problematic in um, the version of Christianity that considers God unchangeable. God's name is I am. Well, no, it's not. It's I will be. God speaks of having a left hand and a right hand. Um, the true God, of course, is the all in all, the one where everyone is repented, where we are all separate um, Jesus Christ-like beings where the God is finally all in all in paradise, the potter's wheel is done spinning and the creation is done. In the Bible, it talks about a thousand years is like a day to God. Um, we can debate all day how long the history of humankind has been or how long the world has been around um, versus human history, whatever. But if there's approximately 6,000 years of human history, let's just say that. Um, it's becoming one church says that. So that is the six days of work. And then there's a, a thousand year Sabbath. Well, that's day seven. And then there's an eighth day. There's a Jubilee. All the old festivals of the Old Testament foreshadow all of these, um, foreshadow like the, the, the resurrection of Christ, the, the, the Christians, and then everybody else. And rather than being a scary and terrifying, it is actually kind of a, 
a beautiful way to reconcile a lot of the questions around God and the problem of evil and the existence of evil and what on earth are we all here for if there is a God where is this all going and why why would God let his children suffer like we all do well this is a pretty good rational explanation um, and it's actually quite um, beautiful and it's uncanny in the way that when you read the scriptures with this in mind how things all seem to fit together and the symbolism of the bible um really comes into play and it's it's kind of a, a guidepost there for those of us who who can see this to see what's going on and a lot of us aren't meant to understand what's going on in in this world because we're supposed to be a little bit unhappy so that when we're born again we can truly value and understand paradise. The idea of this being a spiritual creation shouldn't be outrageous. I mean there's plenty of imagery of spiritual creation in the Bible, especially the potter's wheel. God is creating something and God changes during this creation. God is is the true God is love and all in all, and everybody goes out of God and everybody goes back into God. So Satan is out of God right now. And most of us are too. And then we'll all get to go back into God. Evil will be no more. It will be put under the footstool of the Christ. It will be repented. It will be conquered. It will be won over. So what is the ultimate meaning of the conquest of evil? Well, the best and truest sense of conquest would be winning winning evil over. Um, not having evil off in the pit all the time or a bunch of humans off burning alive forever. And remember, the hellfire was prepared for the devil and his angels. The Bible says that. Um, people aren't going to be burning alive in a hell. That's ridiculous. No God who is love would do that. That's completely ridiculous. Discard that now. The scriptures don't even say that. And now we think that we say that because we have mistranslations, like the words, the Greek words for age lasting and the, the Hebrew word for age lasting have been translated into forever or eternal. So we think there is an eternal punishment. But there is not. It is age lasting. Um, we all go back into into Christ, into God, we become um, one altogether. We're becoming one, like the name of God, I will be. Uh, we're all going to be in unity and harmony. We're like this great temple, and Christ was the foundation, and when it's finally built, we will be one people, and we will be with God. Correctly translating God's name as I will be, and there's a, a, a lengthy explanation of why this is the only appropriate translation on, on our website. And others also would agree that's the correct literal translation of the name of God. When, when God's name is translated as I will be, it opens the doors for a, not only a beautiful understanding of scripture, but a rational understanding. Everything starts to make sense. So we need to question our assumptions and um, our ideas of God that maybe were built on a Greek translation where God's name was changed to be closely aligned to Egypt's Osiris, the being, I am, Greek philosophy. Um, no, that God himself prophesied that Egypt, which is the world, would forget God's name. Well, um, when you get into the Hebrew, you start to realize, yes, um, I am is not the correct way 
to translate God's name. But I will be, or the becoming one, or he who will be, those are correct translations of God's name. So we have a God with a changing nature. We have a potter who has the work of creation on the wheel. Everyone goes out of God via Adam, and everyone goes back into God via Christ in three orders of salvation, which are specifically mentioned in the Bible if you pay attention. So there you have it, God's name and how that changes everything.